0: You're listening to Kitchen Table Finance. Join Dave Shotwell and Nick Nauta as they cut through the complexity of financial planning and
1: serve bites of investment advice that are both personal and practical.
0: Hey Nick, how you doing this morning? Doing great, Dave, how are you? I am doing well. I think we're on our 41st episode of our little podcast here.
2: That's right. On a Thursday, a beautiful Thursday morning in Michigan. Excited to be here. Special guest with us today, John Douglas from Keller Williams Realty, a um, local realtor that we brought on because, Dave, we have been getting a lot of questions about, should I sell my house and take advantage of the market? How do I go about selling my house if I want to or need to? And my response is, a really great question for a realtor so yeah yeah and you know in my experience in in doing
0: this for a while if there's you know clients get emotional about their portfolio sure but they really get emotional about their house and house prices and decisions around that there's just so much wrapped up in in house home ownership and moving and relocating so yeah welcome john I'd like to get your perspective on on this stuff
1: thanks guys Thank, thanks for having me it's uh it probably couldn't be a crazier time in real estate <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, do you have the do you have the time to do this <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, but yeah, here we are.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. We appreciate it. So I guess our our first main question is how in the world do you buy a house in this current market?
1: Do we want to talk about uh, heavy duty praying, rain dances that uh, help you buy houses or just the (laughs) normal stuff? You got any special
2: tokens (laughs) that you can uh, have people love? Is
1: that how it goes? Genie buyers? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it really comes down to a few things. Right. What's what's your current situation? If you're that person that owns a home that you need to get sold first, right? You're contingent on buying that next home on s- first selling your house. Mm-hmm. Your job just become a lot more challenging, and and I think we've got a couple of questions later that we're going to maybe dive into that on. If you're not contingent on selling a house currently, you're going to be in a better position, and that's because mm-hmm. the market inventory is so tight right now. Sellers have often five, 10, 15, 20 offers to choose from. And if your offer is the one that's contingent upon the close and the sale of your current house, you're not even gonna be in the consideration Mm -hmm. usually. We spend spend a a good amount of time right now really going over a buyer's drive to buy a house, what their expectations are. And then a lot of times we gotta, we gotta crush dreams a little bit and say, okay, we know you want that uh, 1,500 square foot ranch with a pole barn on two acres for 200,000. But so do 600 other people in Greater Lansing, and there's four active today that will all be sold tomorrow. That may have been where we should have started. What's the current market? What does it look like? Yeah. And and that's easy. Historically low inventory. Never been this low. And an amazingly strong economy, considering we're coming out of COVID, with Mm -hmm. lots of people entering the housing market the
0: second word in our, in our job titles is planner. Right. And, and my, like my hangup when I talk to clients right now is, you know, how do you, how do you plan and, and, and really consider what you're doing when you've got to make a, uh, you know, multiple hundreds of thousands of dollar decision on an hour walkthrough if you're lucky right now. And, uh, I think that's, that's the big
1: stumbling block for a lot of folks. Yeah. I think, I think this goes to motivation, right? Like, are we a tire kicker? If like the great dream house fell in my lap at the price that were, we're not showing those people houses right now because they're, they're not house buyers in this market. At least doesn't mean we don't have a conversation and tell them why they shouldn't be looking at houses, but, but truly what's the motivation? We, we, a lot of times break buyers down into three groups, A, B and C, and C we kind of talked about that's, that's the, We don't have to make a move. Eh, If the perfect situation worked out, we would. That's a C buyer. Um, A B buyer says, "Yes, we intend to buy a house. You know, we've we've gone pre-approved, but we don't have a deadline. You know, we don't have a house that's under contract, and we have to be out of it in 45 days, or our lease is up and we're not renewing." And then we get into the truly highest highest group of motivation, which is we have a deadline and we're gonna make a decision and we're gonna buy a house by this time, and you know a lot of those people are the ones that don't have a choice right they've they've taken a job elsewhere and and they've got to get a house and if they don't in their timeline they may be forced to you know rent an apartment but for some people that's just that's a non-starter that that makes the market easier for some and more difficult for others easier because some people go okay there's six houses to choose from and we'll we'll write an offer on our first second third favorite or we'll keep writing offers till we get one and it makes it much more difficult for others who don't necessarily have the commitment level to buy a house they don't love.
2: So knowing that this is kind of the market we're in, what, like, how does this, how does the market like this change? Does it, is it, you know, I know you don't have a crystal ball. We get asked this question all the time about the stock market. So, um, but how, you know, how does, you know, what, what do you see the summer looking like and how does that roll into next year?
1: Yeah, so this is the the million dollar question, which I put in parentheses the trillion dollar question because real (laughs) estate is the biggest asset in 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 our country in the world, really, right? Mm -hmm. And we get asked on the hourly, daily basis, when will it end? When will it change? When will it cool off? When is when is the slew of foreclosures coming? You know, like we saw in two thousand ten and eleven. Well, let's answer that one right now. No crashes forecast by anybody. And if you're if you're taking advice from an economist. Or, or, or anybody who, who forecasts something similar to the great recession, uh, get, get your advice elsewhere. That that's not, that's not, <laughs> the yeah, forecast, it's a, right? it's a whole different not- dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have market conditions that are totally different than what led up to the great recession, right? People have a ton of equity in their home right now. They have jobs. Um, the stock market's doing great, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So, what does yep. the market look like the rest of this year? Prices are going to continue to go up. Inventory is going to continue to be extremely low, and houses are going to continue to be fought over every time mm-hmm. with few exceptions. right? let's 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 not talk about luxury because that's a special market with its with its own complications. And let's not talk about sixty thousand dollars and down houses in Lansing mm-hmm. that are old and need a lot of work. But pretty much everything else, is an extremely short supply and there's no end in sight. In other
0: commodities, no, commodity is not the right word. In other markets, you know, if supply is constricted and price goes up and demand goes up, eventually more supply comes online, right? <laughs> like if, I, if I'm making widgets, I'm gonna make more widgets if the, if the price is high and demand is high. Do we have a sense
1: for what's keeping the inventory low right now? there's a mistaken perception that inventory is actually low compared with the last couple of years. If we, if we pull COVID out because kind Mm -hmm. of it was a, it was a special situation last year, right here in Michigan, we got, Mm -hmm. we got shut down even as an industry and you know, April and May are usually where we're ramping up and starting to see good good numbers of of sales. They were, they were abysmal compared to, you know, 2019 numbers in 2020. The, the the number of houses and units sold is actually we're we're right on, right on right on par with 2019, you know, slight increase in 19 from 18, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. To answer your question though, why don't we have inventory for the demand is because demand went way up. And probably the mm-hmm. biggest factor is, depending who you ask, but Forbes just had a good piece on this. And in Forbes research, they suggest we're 5.5 million. New construction starts behind in the, in this century. I saw that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, that equals over a quarter million units a year in America that we haven't been built. And, and, uh, and that, that trickle down effect, right? We're not building new homes for, for first time buyers and upgrade buyers and luxury buyers at the rate we need to and that's just one of many factors and it's it's not necessarily easy
0: to scale up real fast when you know when when demand changes for other for like a product i guess we're we're seeing this too in like computers and microchips right now too you can't you know build a microchip factory in 2 months because the price for microchips is high you can't turn around and build the sawmills and create the workforce and get the licensed builders in the field to build new houses right away.
1: There's a delay. We're we're talking about leg indicators, but, but I was building houses actually when the, when the great recession hit. Mm -hmm. And so I was on the other side of this. And let me tell you, a lot of developers and a lot of builders got burned very, very badly. Got some of them just got caught with their hand in the cookie jar, really, because they were way overextended. Mm -hmm. And and others didn't, and others survived, but they got they got burned badly and they 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 didn't take the risks when when things started to look better in 2014 and 15 that they were in five, six, and seven. And they've been ramping up. I'm curious how many builders, you know I
2: think a lot of builders quit and got out and never mm-hmm. really got back in, kind of like yourself. It sounds like and I'm sure you know Small there's always buildings. a yes, there's always yeah. a difference between nationally and and locally, but definitely locally. I've heard from a lot of people that used to right. do home building that don't really anymore. They focus on remodeling or something where there's not as much risk in it
0: in 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 my rural area in Michigan, a lot of builders physically left like move to the Dakotas or somewhere where there was demand still because the, they, you know, the oil fields were booming at the time and they've just never come back to, to this area. So yeah, on a local level, you see some weird distortions. I find it really interesting that it's another aspect where we're still dealing with the shadow of 2008, 2009. You know, we've seen that in the markets with how people think about risk and how they think about retirement. And here, you know we see another distortion in the markets around housing because of what happened you know 10 12 years ago
1: well something else to keep in mind and it's plaguing it's plaguing new construction right now we lost skilled tradesmen oh. that never came back mm-hmm. they switched industry as as my wife says cuz we've always lived in a, in a in a college town since she's a professor when the economy does poorly people go back to school, right? We take student loans, we go back mm-hmm. to school, we get better education. And so imagine people leaving the construction trades, not just the builders and developers, the, the, the top of that, that pyramid, but the bottom, the guys out there doing mm-hmm. framing and tile work. They, you know what, this industry stinks. It's hard on my back and knees to begin with. And oh, the boom's over. I'm going to get yeah. into something else. We don't come back. One of the things that's causing the crunch right now is a, is a labor shortage, not, not just in construction. You know, we right. know that restaurants can't open when they right. want to, but construction was hit extremely hard over COVID and has not recovered. Um, and then we have material shortages that go back to labor shortages, you know, with mills being shut down and we don't want to jump into, you know, what wood futures are doing today. Let's just say that they've finally started to come down, thankfully. But all of that compounds into that new construction's not putting out the units we need. So people that want to move up to a new construction house can't. Right. But then we have a demographic. I don't want to say change, but something that's never happened. So boomers and, and the, 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 Gen X and the millennials, those are, those are all of our homeowners and home buyers right now for the most part. Right. Well, those are the biggest generations ever population wise. They're going to live longer than ever. And here's something that happened. Millennials saw their parents' retirement, as you guys know, get Mm -hmm. annihilated with the Great Recession, right? They saw their parents lose jobs and get foreclosed on. And that scared a lot of millennials. So millennials are entering the housing market later than my generation, Gen X did, right? And Finally, they said, you know what? We're sick of living in a flat downtown above a bar. I actually think I do want to get married and and get a dog and have a little yard. And the (laughs) suburbs became appealing to millennials over the last three or four years. So instead of the normal X amount per year, there was a big influx of millennial buyers at the same time that the biggest generation ever boomers are like, we're ready to sell our big colonial house and maybe get that little ranch. And then last year, everybody said, we want to get away from people and go buy that little ranch on two acres in the country because of COVID. And so we have a whole bunch of activity and and not necessarily unique to Lansing, but I I know this this market better than any other. Our first time buyer market is also a first time move up market for a lot of people's price point. So we have Mm. first time buyers and first time move up buyers here competing over the same properties Mm. with no relief from new construction with more buyers than ever before with historically low interest rates. I mean, we're sitting at like 3% or below for a 30 year mortgage. I mean, my poor parents paid 12 or 14% in the eighties. And then we've got a, we, we've got a great stock market and we've got actually a, a really fast recovery in, in the job market. So we we have lots of money and people want to buy houses and we're in a catch 22. People would like to sell. Can I, can I, can I talk about Nick? Like, Nick, if we could find him the right yeah. house with a pool, we would buy it, but you're not going to go ahead and sell yours. Well, my wife would in me. a heartbeat. I don't know. She might yeah, have to exactly. take me along kicking and screaming, but yeah. <laughs> but your problem will be if I put so, your house on the market tomorrow, it's going to be sold by the end of the weekend. Where are you going? And so right. lots of people that would otherwise yes. list and sell a house, they're afraid that they're not going to find the next one and they're going to be caught homeless or moving back into their 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 parents or grandparents' basement. How would that work for you and your family, Nick, to move into somebody's basement for six months? Yeah, that's
2: not working. Unless Dave's got some uh, some uh, <laughs> some room in his pole barn on his property up got, there. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, you'd have to share with all the dogs. So, uh,
0: <laughs> wouldn't be a, wouldn't be conducive. Um, you know, that's that's really insightful about the markets and, and how the supply and demand is working right now. You know, I think from a planning perspective. And Nick, you know, jump in if you think this is different, but I think most of our clients fall into that, that C group that you talked about that don't really need to buy something different right now. You know, when, when we talk, when we, when we talk about goals and financial planning, there's three, there's three things that like end up, like we might as well have them as templates and people's plans. It's, it's your basic living expenses at retirement, travel and either buying a second place or relocating, right? Those, those three things are like paramount to most yep. middle-class Michigan about to retire folks. So, so with your grouping, I would, I would label those all as a C for the most part. Like they don't need to, we might've put in their plan, hey, you're going to retire in 2020 and we're going to um, you know, buy that place in Florida or that place in uh, you know, Charlevoix. In 2021, but there's no real need to do it. So, you know, for most of those folks, they're just—it's not necessarily that they're putting it off intentionally. It's that they're just not able to find a place they're comfortable with right now. But what do we do? What do we do in that in that a group where they have to do something? They're relocating for a job or renting where they are isn't sustainable, or you know, we've got to do something different. How do we deal with that? any ideas?
1: Yeah, about, oh, geez, I don't know, six months ago or so, I, I, I did a uh, an online class for, for agents actually across the country with one of my colleagues. And we, we talked about, we're teaching agents, you know, how, how do you be the most competitive in these bidding wars? How do you win the offer? Uh-huh. And that's really what we're talking about, right? We have one of two options. We can buy a property that's not being fought over. Well, <laughs> Why is it not being fought over? <laughs> there's a reason, <laughs> right? right? right. <laughs> there's, o- there's only one reason we, we we make it real easy in real estate. It's overpriced for what it is. Yeah. Right? Like every house will sell at the right price, right? Like you guys, mm-hmm. if, if, if I mm-hmm. ask you this, you know, what's your make me move price? You may not have thought about it, but you have one. You know, I said Nick, if I brought you a four hundred thousand dollars offer tomorrow, would you be out by the end of next week? (laughs) And you'd say yes or no, right? Right. Yeah. At some some point, I'd hit a number where you we do whatever it takes to be out by the end of next week. That's your make me move price. Yeah. Right. Right. So every house has a make me move price, but but realistically, if it's a good house and it hits the market in any of the competitive price points, which is basically, you know, anything south of five hundred thousand in the Lansing area. And north of say mm-hmm. 60 or 70,000, if it's priced correctly, it's gonna last on the market three or four days. And that's because we're gonna have three or four days of a bunch of showings and then competing offers. And how, how do we, how do we yeah. position our buyers to be the most competitive? First and foremost, if you're contingent on the sale or the close of a current property, you're not competitive. That's just a fact. If it's, if it's multiple offers on the house and mm-hmm. you don't have a chance. Uh, yeah, you do, but it's not worth talking about in a five or 10-way bidding war. Second, cash is king. Anybody who tells you it's not is lying. And the reason that cash is king more right. than ever is because people are willing to overbid, overpay for houses. And when they don't appraise, now their their loan is going to say, well, well, you're willing to pay $250. I, I get that you're willing to pay 250 but the bank said it's worth 220 so the bank's only going to lend it 220 well, with cash, we don't have an appraisal. Mm-hmm. So cash is king, but we're only seeing maybe 8 to 12% of houses sell for cash right now, typically. Okay. So, so then the gold standard of not cash buyers, the bulk, is somebody buying with a conventional loan with 20% down. If we write an offer with 20% down, conventional loan, and then we have to figure out with whoever we're working with, okay, how much is it going to take to win this bidding war? And then the most important part at that point, when we're bidding a house up over what we believe market value is guaranteeing the appraisal amount or what we call an appraisal gap guarantee. So that says, again, the house is listed at 220, which is where we expect it to appraise at. I'm willing to pay 250, but when it doesn't appraise for 250,000, I'll give you 10 or 15,000 guaranteed over what it does appraise for. So if the appraisal comes back at 230, you know, the seller will then get guaranteed 240, 245 that guarantee is the biggest tool you have if you're not a cash buyer. And then we have just a long list of other things other things we can do to make an offer appealing to a to a seller, and I'm not recommending all of these. Waiving inspections is big for a lot of people. The older the house, the more problems yeah. that can come up. I make people sign a special form that says I'm waiving my inspections because I don't want you suing me later because yeah. you decided not to find out there was mold in <laughs> the attic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the
0: half hour you spent walking through the house.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So th- yeah. th- th- I think there's a misconception, though, because one of your questions is you know, we we, we see the house in, in a half hour showing it. And by the way, in this market, there's no hour long show, show, showing slots available. You mm-hmm. know, you, you, you sometimes, uh, Birmingham, uh, West Bloomfield, it's 15 minute slots only. You got to decide in 15 minutes if you want to write an offer on this house and pay 50,000 over list price. However, once you get the house under contract, you've got inspection period and you've got uh, the option to go back, you know, uh, with contractors, whatever that's going to be written into your offer. Um, But yeah, you're going to be under that pressure to make a decision after seeing the house one time and then put your best Mm -hmm. foot forward with that offer. And that, that can be daunting. But for those A buyers, that, that's the game right now. Mm-hmm. You don't have a decision other than this house. Yes. And how much will I pay for it? And will I win this one? Mm, it's a lot of pressure.
2: I'd like to go back if we could real quick and just talk about appraisals for a minute, because in my mind, when you, you know, an asset is worth what you're willing to pay for it. But I know in real estate, it's not always, so (laughs) the way things are going, I got to imagine most houses don't appraise at what the, you know, the offer is. And so um, how does that kind of dynamic
1: work? Well, it, it, it depends. Right. Like the higher we get over the list price. Let's just assume when I say list price that the agent slash with their seller priced at what data market value says the house is worth. Mm -hmm. And why did I say data in quotes? Because the appraisers look at closed sales. They're comparing to closed sales the most recent they can. They'd like to have no closed sales older than six months, and a very similar house, location-wise, size, whatever. So we're going to compare that, and and appraisers and realtors are doing the same job, right? When we give you a comparative market analysis on your house, it says, look, we've looked at at sold comparables. The appraisers are doing the same thing, pulling the same data. So if we assume the house Mm -hmm. was listed correctly, don't forget, though, closed sales is all a lag indicator. When our markets are going up 8%, 10%, 12% a year, sometimes up 1% a month a comp from six months ago, maybe 6% below market value, right? So we're seeing mm. maybe half of our bid up houses not appraised at that value. Now, yes, right. true market okay. value is what a willing and able buyer is willing and able to pay today for a property, but mm-hmm. the government's involved. And, uh, uh, hopefully you won't edit this out, but hashtag taxation is theft.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's a whole different podcast.
1: John. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Invite me back when you need a crazy uh, libertarian leaning guy on. <laughs> so, because the government's involved and in they underwrite back the vast majority of, of mortgages, they said, "Hey, we have to have this person that's licensed by the government and appraiser come in and put a value on this house." And once we do. Mm-hmm. We're now artificially controlling what market value is, right? Mm. In, a, in a in a true right. scenario, when everybody bought everything with cash, everything would sell at market value. Mm. But because of that appraisal, mm. it sometimes does not. That's interesting.
2: interesting. Yeah. Well, know, we, think about it too. From the city standpoint, that's their tax revenue is based on the value of a house too. So right. <laughs> going up. <laughs> You know the cities yeah. and townships should be feeling pretty good about this, but um, yeah, yeah, it, it's good a good time to buy municipal bonds, then, right? Yeah, right. There you
1: go. So. Um, I'm going to compare two markets quick for 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 your for your listeners, followers. Sure. So I helped folks move in from the greater Washington area to East Lansing. They're actually uh, moving in uh, next week, but we closed about a month ago. They listed their yeah. house in 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 the the greater Seattle area at seven hundred fifty thousand. Modest twenty four hundred square foot middle class home, no basement. That's common there. Uh, newer build within the last ten years. Nice modern finishes, but but not luxury. Here that'd be a pretty luxurious house. And at seven fifty, the the winning bid on their house had what's called an escalation clause. Real simply that says we'll pay X amount of dollars over the next best offer with a cap of Y, right? So they had an escalation clause that escalated the purchase price to nine hundred and thirty five thousand. So 935 is what was paid for a 750 listing. Again, remember 750 was the amount that the data said this house was worth. Their cap for the escalation though was a million dollars. They were willing to pay a million for it. They didn't have to escalate that high because nobody pushed them past the 935. (laughs) They put a $40,000 non-refundable earnest money deposit down and they guaranteed the entire appraisal amount. So if it appraised for 750, they'd come up with the extra 185,000 out of pocket. Waived inspection, right? So, okay, <laughs> that, the, 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 Seattle, right? No, it's crazy. It's it's you know it's San Francisco of, of Washington State. So here, just recently, I have clients I'm working with. A house was listed one hundred eighty five thousand dollars in the city of Lansing. Older home, but really well maintained, well taken care of. And uh, we we wrote an offer thirty five thousand dollars over the list price with a strong appraisal guarantee, and we lost to a higher cash offer. Wow. Hmm. This is the madness of our current market. Yeah. Now, everybody says, I'm not going to overpay. I don't want to overpay. We know market value is what a willing and able buyer is going to pay today. And what I can tell you, though, is that the housing market, mm-hmm. since they've tracked statistics, has averaged 4% appreciation every year. And what happened to housing values 2009, 2010? Depending what market you're in, we lost yep. anywhere from... 25, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, even more percent. Right. And we're just getting back to where we should be, honestly. That is interesting. And,
0: you know, we're, as, as market nerds, you know, we're always paying. We, <laughs> we've got the, the saying that, you know, pri- all the information is in the price. You know, when you want to look at a security, the, the information's there. But that's also partially because, you know, General Electric trades how many millions of shares a day, right? So the the price of a share of General Electric is pretty accurate based on all the information. Some people think it's worth more than their buyers. Some people think it's worth less than their sellers. But everything we know about that company is baked into that price today. Whereas with a house, even, even in bidding war situations, it's still hard to say, like, are those 40 or 50 people, like, is their opinion an accurate value, you know, as opposed to the millions of people trading a particular company in a day? So, you know, it's interesting right now for me personally, I had my house appraised in 2017 and my house appraised again to refinance this year. And in 2017, when we, when the appraiser looked for comparables, it was basically like a shruggy. You know, like, you know, there's, there's a house over, there's a house, two towns over. That's kind of like yours that sold two years ago, you know, and this year we got it appraised and we had like a, like a six inch stack of things that were comparable in our area that had changed hands in the last Mm. six months. It was, it was night and day different. And just, you know, again, as a, as a market nerd, I was like, oh yeah, there's more information. This is probably a much more accurate appraisal than, than what we had Mm. back then. Anyway, that's kind of an aside, but, uh. Yeah. Good,
2: good stuff. So I'd like to ask you a little bit about that B group. Cause it sounds like, you know, we, we cover the A group of here's what you need to do. And the mm-hmm. C group is kind of like, okay, yeah, we're not going to deal with this crazy market. Yeah. But my concern over the B group is when we talk about like the emotional side of, Hey, I should sell my house right now because I'm never going to get a better value. The right. flip side of that is you got to buy something. Right. And so you know, what do you, you know, what's the motivation behind that? And and when we do financial planning, it's always about the why I'm not, I'm not going to stand here and tell somebody that they shouldn't go out and buy the house of their dreams if that's their goal and everything that they want. But I do think that they should realize, you know, it's not only about yes, selling, getting a great value for your house, buying the house, of your dreams, but you know, I think a lot of times people forget about, okay, what does that mean for taxes? Right? So as va- you know, if you've been in a house for 10 years, your property taxes are capped. So you're probably paying well below what the value of your current house is. And then you're going to step up to another house. So, you know, things like property taxes and other things. So are there things out there that people should be considering when they're thinking about making that leap into getting their dream home that's on their bucket list of the financial goal that they really truly want? What are your thoughts on, on what they should be considering and looking out
1: for? Well, I I just want to say like, you already hit the most important thing and it's what we hit as well. The why? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I sit down and ask people all the time, like, why are you considering selling well you know the the, the fourth kid came and it's kind of tight in the three bedroom and it, whatever right mm-hmm. okay so quality of living and this is where we can look at you know general electric stock price which is accurate to the minute by the way right because we can follow the right. ticker if we want to. <laughs> right and everything in right. housing is a lag right. indicator on values well we can't put a price And this this is the hard part about housing. Somebody may be willing to way overpay because that's their dream location. It's got the pool or it's in the country and they can put up the tire swing or whatever, right? That's what makes this so complicated and brings into emotion. Right. And that's why, like a plug for my industry, a good fiduciary, which a realtor is, a good fiduciary is there to take the emotion out, provide you facts, Mm-hmm. because you yeah. as a home buyer, a seller are going to be emotional. You're not going to be able to remove your emotions. So I go back to the why, why are we buying? Why are we selling? And some people just want to, and some people need to, and then some people need to with a timeline, the a buyers, right? right? So the longer we stay in the house, the better the benefit, Right. Mm-hmm. If we know that your house is going to appreciate it 4% a year forever and ever and ever, just like the stock market, the S&P's done, you know, 8 to 9% forever and ever and ever, right? Everybody wants the million-dollar question answer. When's it going to crash mm-hmm. so I can buy low and then ride it up for 10 years? I keep telling people, it doesn't matter. You need a place to live. <laughs> right. Every day right. you wait right, right now, prices are going up. Depending where you're buying, you're you're paying a half yeah. percent or 1% more every month you wait to close on a house. So your your point about property taxes uncapping is quite accurate, Nick. And and, and uh, taxing authorities right now are thrilled about all these high prices. They go reassess everybody next year and their their coffers are gonna be loaded and they're still not gonna fix right. the roads here in Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> that's we, that's we another podcast on- too. <laughs> yeah. Dave's already capitalized because mm-hmm. he just did a refi. Can we capitalize on historically low interest rates and lock them in? Mm-hmm. Every day that we're renting, obviously, we're we're not paying down principal, right? We're just paying somebody else's mortgage. And so I tell everybody, like, if a move is within sight within the next year, every day you wait right now, your risk is you're going to pay a higher interest rate because inflation's here. And pretty Mm -hmm. soon they're going to have to start driving the interest rate up to battle the inflation, Right. So mm-hmm. every day we wait we potentially pay a higher interest rate and we guaranteed right now at least in the market we pay a higher dollar for the house. And so are we looking at people that are selling a less expensive house and buying more expensive in this market? Right? So they're going to take out a bigger loan but at a low interest rate, they're going to maximize potentially the return or or the sales price so then their 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 down payment their nest egg coming out of one house to the next. Are we looking at selling a bigger house and getting smaller? That's a no brainer to me. Sell it, sell it, sell mm-hmm. it while it's high, get a low interest rate or buying the next house cash. Or are we fall yeah. somewhere in between. We're that B buyer where we're like, yeah, we, we, we have a lot of equity. We'd like to tap that. We'd like to get a bigger house, but we don't really have to. What does that decision look like? And we have to just dig at motivation and keep asking good why questions because the answer is, it depends. Yeah. There, There isn't a right answer. And, <laughs> and, and, and that's why we have easily identifiable A buyers over here and C buyers over here. But lots of people in that B group right now, where would you put yourself, Nick? You know, if you guys are thinking about man, we, we love our house and we'd like a pool, but does it make sense to do the pool? Are you a B or a C buyer? Uh, yeah, I'm probably a C. My wife might be an A
2: though. Yeah, do you have real estate uh, uh, counseling for couples? Is that a service that you offer? All
1: right. <laughs> that's one of many. Uh, but no, I think
2: that's a you great know. point. And, and so as financial planners, what we try to do is we try to, you know, real estate is always a part of it, but we try to, okay, let's put everything on the table. Let's talk about everything that's important to you. And then we will help you prioritize. Right. And so maybe right. we find out through prioritizing that the new house is at the top of your list. Well, it's our job as fiduciaries to do everything in our power to help you achieve that. Right. But maybe we go through the process and, you know, a new house is towards the bottom of the list. we got all these other things that we want to do. So let's prioritize how we're going to do those things and not necessarily worry about the house um, or at this point current time if it doesn't make sense
0: yeah or sometimes you find out that the urge to move is more of a symptom of other goals right you know that you know maybe it maybe it's more about the job or the town or you know it's it's not necessarily about a bigger house or a different house even it's it's there's more more interconnected there how's it you know it's it's an investment on the one hand but it's a use asset and something you have to live with and and hopefully love. And, you know, you're going to have emotions wrapped up in that that you don't have when you're buying a stock or a mutual fund, hopefully. I mean, you've got, you've got emotions about like what the outcomes are going to be, but not necessarily like, Hey, I, well, it's rare. Occasionally we'll have uh, like a weird relationship with a company when we talk to somebody, but uh, usually it's something they already own and don't want to of not something they're looking to buy um like you know that's a whole different level
2: so um one last question for you john because i know we're kind of running up on time but as a person in the a or the b group how do i go out and how do i find a good realtor that's going to do what I need them to do in terms of like, what questions should I be asking them? What should I be looking for as far as like experience? Do you have some insight into that?
1: Well, let me, let me turn that back on you. How do I find a good financial advisor?
2: <laughs> the internet tells me everything.
1: <laughs> yeah, Google, knows, Google knows a whole heck of a lot more than anybody on this podcast. That's right? <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and for that reason, uh, tons of people are, you know, paying big money to Google and SEO and whatever to rank high in searches. And yet, how how do you guys know where you take your car to, to get, you know, mechanics work done? The guy who replaces your roof, right? We got, we got two main groups right now, but where do you go? Where do you go for important decisions that you need a new dentist or doctor or whatever? Referrals. Referrals. We've got two groups. We've got referrals and we've got, we go to Google and read reviews. Right. 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 Probably the most important thing on the internet right now is not who ranks an SEO, but who's got good reviews. That five star, that 4.7 is critical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to go back to your question, where do we find somebody to help us navigate this? Well, probably you're going to do like everybody else. You're going to work or school, uh, church, and you're saying, Hey, you know, we're thinking about selling our house. Who knows a good realtor? Mm-hmm. Um, and, right. And then we're going to go there because that's that layer of built in trust. Mm -hmm. And then the vast majority of people, I can tell you, don't ever do anything other than take your trust and make it their trust. They don't do the next step. Most, most people don't go read reviews or call up an interview three or anything else because we're borrowing that trust and good, bad, or otherwise. That's the nature of referral business, whether it's real estate, financial advisors, or or dentists. Um, the questions though, you should ask are, and I get, I guess it depends first, are you buying, selling or both? But mm-hmm. you know, how long you've been in the business? You know, if you're going to list my house, how many houses do you list a year? What, what's that process? And what's that marketing plan look like? I can tell you right now, you can hire just about anybody to put a sign in your yard and put it in the MLS. Mm-hmm. And if your house is decent yes. priced, right, it's going to sell. And uh, you're going, wait, 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 like, John, are you, are you telling me I should do this for sale by owner? Just based on you put in the MLS I mean, plenty of people choose that. And I'm going to tell you why that's not the greatest choice. I can throw statistics at you all day, but I can tell you the average realtor will get you somewhere between eight and 12% more than you will on your own mm. because not just pricing and marketing, all these other things, it's not as needed as much when there's a 10 buyers for every house, but negotiations, mm. right? Mm-hmm. How many people out there even knew what an appraisal gap guarantee was until they heard it today or when they get in a real estate transaction? Not right? me. That was, that was <laughs> new to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can tell you about four, four and a half years ago, I think I was, I hadn't heard it from any other agent in the area. I think it was the first one in Lansing to start using them because I had first time buyers that kept striking out. Mm. So I convinced them just throw an extra $2,000 in the offer. Instantly we could get our offers accepted in the bidding war. So, right. There's value in using professional. I can go out and manage all my stocks and my retirement and I can buy my life insurance or I can hire a professional, you guys, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Like, because this is what you do day in and day out. So ask them all these questions. If you're getting help on the buy side, how many buyers are you currently working with? You know? Oh, you have 20. How much of your time am I actually going to get then? Right. 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 Like how many buyers did you help close last year? What's your offer written to offer accepted ratio? well, man, I'm I'm writing 15 offers a week right now. How are you getting accepted? Yeah. Uh, we got none last mm-hmm. week, <laughs> right? <laughs> man, what's that that might be a very expense? tough metric right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah you no, know, it is, it is. And, you know, if somebody's like, you know, I get one in three accepted, I'm going, genius, you should be in the baseball game <laughs> yeah, right. right. for real estate. <laughs> yeah, that's right. fantastic, right. right? So yeah, as ask for those metrics, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah. you want to know how, how long somebody's been doing this, how many deals a year they're doing what their success rate is. You know, if somebody's listing a house right now and they're not averaging list price or above on all their sales, I go, I probably don't want you to sell my house if you can only get 97% of what you're listing for in this market. Mm-hmm. And then on the buy side, we asked the same question, like, what is your average buyer paying? And right now you probably are paying a hundred percent of listings. But just two years ago, I averaged, mm-hmm. I think, 97.4% of list price for my buyers, which means I was getting mm-hmm. my buyers a 2.6% discount off of the list price on average. And we were still in a good seller's market a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Right? And then I asked the, right. the, the, the important question is, what is your bandwidth to take on another listing or another seller right now? Mm. Can, can you handle yeah. this? Yeah. right. Like, And, and, it, and yeah. if, you're, if you're seeing somebody sign all over town, it means they do a lot of business, but are you going to get the best service? Because there are a lot of great realtors out there. Yeah. You, don't, you don't need the person who does the most business or I, has the most signs. I can tell you anecdotally that right now, it's the one that will return your call. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's the same I mean, a trying, to help a, <laughs> right. trying to help a family member uh, look, for, look for a realtor for something. And uh, yeah, it was, it, it's tough. It's tough it's good, but
2: it's tough. Very good. That's uh, that's very helpful, John. We appreciate it. And yeah, um, good information. I'm going to throw this out here, but do you, if our listeners want to contact you or have a real estate question, are you comfortable with that? And what's the best way to get a hold of you?
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely. And you know, I don't know how far your, your reaches, but I what I can tell you is one of the reasons I like being with Keller Williams, we are the biggest franchise real estate company in the world. In the U S alone, we're something around 160, 70,000 agents. My network's impressive, right? I, I've got a good network in basically every metropolitan area in the United States, but mm-hmm. definitely across Michigan. So if, 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 you need help in Michigan um, and you're not in, in my market where I work, I can definitely connect you with good professionals that I've vetted and I have previous relationships yeah. with. Um, you can find me on social media, Instagram, uh, Facebook, whatever. You can call me anytime. Uh, I'll leave my personal cell phone. That's 814-933-2274. KW.com. And I, I run a, a small team here out of Lansing Keller Williams office. We're the Home team. Uh, we have three agents and administrative support. And um, if there's if there's something I like talking about more than real estate, it's soccer. That's how I know Nick. <laughs> <laughs> it's my fishing. That's not how I know data. That may be our, our future, or, or it's real estate. Well, it right? may those be are... it may be how we know each other better. Right? Yeah. yeah. There go. <laughs> those, those are my two passions outside of work. But uh, before I was in real estate, I was a home builder. I, I started in the trades and I became a general contractor and I built hundreds of homes. And then I just I, I was sick of being on the job site, so I, I switched into real estate. And it's been a great fit because I love people and I love homes. So somebody wants to talk shop, I'm your guy.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you. This has been fascinating. I know I learned a lot. Um, we will definitely put your contact info, your social media stuff in the show notes. Um, so check that out on the website, srbadvisors.com. We'll also try to put a link to that Forbes article in there for our listeners. But as always, if you have questions, you can always reach us at info at And Thanks again, John. This has been fantastic and we really appreciate your time. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on.
1: Gather around and follow the Kitchen Table Finance podcast to learn about money and simple ways you can invest right now. You can find more practical advice at srbadvisors.com and contact the team for personal planning by emailing info at srbadvisors.com.